Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got Dr. Glenn Pickering in studio today, so that makes me happy. <laughs> I also uh, have got my Bible open to Romans chapter 15, verse 7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We want to talk about right relationships today. We want to talk about how we can help them go right, because last time uh, Glenn was with us, we talked about his book on TAG, and we talked about how things can go wrong. And if you missed that interview, it was excellent. And if you uh, can always access to the notes right on Glenn's website, he made it available for you. If you go to glennpickering.com and under the media tab, scroll down and you can Get the notes from that last discussion, as well as today's notes are available right now on his website at glennpickering.com. And go into the media tab and scroll down to Wednesday, September 22nd, entitled Healthy Relationships. And that is the topic we're going to discuss today. Glenn is a uh, teacher and a counselor and a former pastor and a former engineer and for all I know, he was once in the circus. I don't know. <laughs> but I, yeah, it didn't work out for me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. But you've done everything else beautifully and well. And we're glad to have you back. Glenn, welcome. Thanks. It's good to be welcomed. Yeah. yeah. So um, let's talk about how we can steer things to go well, how we can help things go right. Thank you. That's because a great question. there's enough things that go wrong. Oh, my goodness. Is that yeah. true? One of my favorite writers back when I was just starting out in ministry name was Bill O'Hanlon, and he wrote a book way back then called Brief Psychotherapy. And he worked a lot with couples, as I often do, and he would often give homework assignments to the couples. And when they came back the next week, he'd say, how'd your homework assignment go? And mostly they would want to talk to him about, well, we tried, but we kind of stumbled. This one didn't go very well, blah, blah, blah. And he would basically say, is there one time when you did it that it went well or that it went right? And they're like, well, yeah, one time. And he's like, great, tell me about that time. That's what I want to know. What did you do when you were doing it right? Because he's understood the power of a vision. You know, it says in Proverbs, without a vision, the people shall perish. We, if we want to get somewhere, we literally have to have a picture in our head of what we're trying to get to. So his thought was this. We could talk about your mistakes all day, or I could just help you get a real clear picture in your mind of how it goes when you do it right. And that picture will guide you as you go forward in all your future connections with each other because you will have a clear picture in your head about how to do it right. So I want to talk a little bit today about how relationships go when we do it right. I love it. Okay. Yeah. And I think when we are really, really listening to one another, we're right. going to increase our chances of things going right. That is so true. So number one is about listening. And, you know, it says in James one nineteen about, you know, being Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for our anger does not work for the righteousness of God. And people say that sentence a lot, especially if, you know, they do sort of Christian psychology stuff like me. Um, But it's really interesting to me because it's so easy to sort of read that sentence and think, oh, uh uh-huh. 
without actually really thinking about what it means or how to apply it. But it's really important to me, I think, that in that very next paragraph, right after James says, you know, that we're you know, supposed to be slow to speak, quick to listen, he says, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. In other words, if you're actually a doer of the word, this is what you will do. Slow down, listen carefully, speak slowly, don't get angry about stuff you probably don't even understand yet. <laughs> be patient with one another. That's a big part of what it means to be a doer of the word is how we do our relationships. And then right after that, it says, and I love the context. When I ever read a scripture passage, I love to read all the stuff before and after because it helps me understand it, like I get the context of it. Right after that, he says, so if every, anybody thinks they're religious but doesn't bridle his or her tongue, this person's religious religion is worthless. You. <laughs> oh, I know. Whenever I read James, I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's, that's intense. I mean, he really doesn't hold anything back. Like, no. He just lays the truth out. And when I was younger, I used to read that stuff and it would seem harsh to me. But now I get, James isn't trying to be harsh. He's just trying to lay it out for us so clearly that we just can't miss it. Um, so basically he's saying, here's the thing. If you say you love God, you say you have faith, but you don't live that out, especially in terms of how you connect with God and with the people around you, your faith doesn't really mean much, at least not at that moment. And it's like, wow, that's, that's a powerful thought to me. Because here's what it boils down to. If any person is serious about their faith, I should literally be able to tell that. I should literally be able to see that that's true in the way that they interact with other people. I should say that they listen carefully. They nod their head just like you're doing. They listen until they actually understand instead of mouthing off before they even know what they're talking about. They don't get all defensive. They just really listen and make a point of really trying to understand. And I think we need to understand that's a big part of what it means to live out our faith is how we treat the people in our life. I, uh, I think all the time to myself these days that our faith is not a theory. And this is what James is trying to talk about. Our faith is not a philosophy. Our faith is not a theology. Our faith is a life lived in right relationship with one another and with God. And um, that's why, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 22, you know, here's the greatest two commandments. Love your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this, all the other scriptures are built, basically. Everything else in the scripture is about those two things. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes people say, oh, Glenn, you're a Christian counselor. That's who helps people with relationships, that's a good little thing to be working on. And I think, no, it's the only thing to be working on. Mm -hmm. Our entire faith is about how we treat people and, treat, and the relationship we have with our Lord. I, uh, you know, me, I love reading those stories of people with near-death experiences that cross over and come back and tell us what it's like on the other side. And they do all talk about that life review that everybody talks about. And, um, and basically what happens when God reviews our life with us is we see everything we said and did and how it affected every other person in our life. There's no review of our accomplishments, how many degrees we got, how mm -hmm. great we looked when we walked across the stage, <laughs> how much money we made. Mm -hmm. The review is of how did you behave towards the other people in your life and how did that affect them, mm -hmm. period. Yeah. From God's perspective, that is the review of our life. Mm -hmm. that, that's where... Glenn, you and I differ just a little bit. I'm, okay, so I'm not a fan of those experiences at all. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I thought I better just say that. <laughs> I get that. But, so, so, but it's challenging. It just really says, okay, if you're going to live out your faith, James yeah. says, great, that's a good thing. Absolutely important. Here's what that looks like. 
it looks like being super intentional about how you treat the people in your life, mm-hmm. how you speak to them, especially. And um, and I just think, man, that's challenging. Yeah, that's. Oof. I'm intrigued by pauses in yeah. a conversation because I I'm, yeah. I'm fairly convinced. Most people like hearing themselves talk, <laughs> and they'd much rather be the one talking than the one listening. Yeah, and I think sometimes their people are carrying on parallel monologues. Right, I they're doing what I call rehearsal, which that's a great way to think about it. I'm going to think about it now that way in the future. Parallel monologues. I think all too often when we're supposed to be listening, all we're doing is getting our answer ready. Exactly. You know, we're preparing what we're going to say. I'm so, waiting for you to stop talking. Yeah, so, so I, I can, can say my part, which is right. really important, of course. Um, and I just think, yeah, that um, so we're doing rehearsing instead of listening. Or like we we're talking about with the tag time stuff last time I was on, or we're having a knee-jerk reaction where somebody says something that we feel like we're it, and we have to feel like we have, we feel like we instantly have to explain ourselves or defend ourselves or make somebody else the bad one or blame somebody else for our stuff. Which, again, at that point, we're not listening or even thinking because we're just saying the weird thoughts that run through the back of our head. So we're called in a powerful, powerful way. Like this is the make-or-break deal of our faith to treat other people in a certain way, which requires then that we listen really carefully, and that involves those pauses. If there, I, can, I said in my gentleman book something like, um, I can basically tell how good a relationship is going just by seeing how fast the conversation moves. If there are two people and it's he said, she said, he said, she said, and it goes back and forth real fast, I know nobody's actually listening. And that relationship's in trouble. Mm-hmm. If I see a couple or any two people who one person says something, there's a pause where the other person thinks hard about what they said, absorbs that, and then answers, I think, okay, now that relationship, <laughs> that's a great relationship. People in that relationship feel heard and understood. And they only answer once they've actually taken the time to make sure they understood what the other person said. That relationship's going great. And I can literally just watch for like a minute to see how fast a conversation goes. They have a pretty darn good sense of how that relationship's going. That's very interesting. Just the the, the pacing of yes, the exactly. back and forth right, exactly. is in, indicative of how well they're listening and interacting. Perfect. Perfectly yeah. said. Yeah, interesting. Um, when I, I think we've talked about this in the past, but I still think it's relevant to this discussion because if we have... A history together, you and me, mm-hmm. and we've met for lunch six times, and six times you were late, and the seventh time you're late again. Right. So I'm going to have a hard time hearing you, right? Because I have a history with you. If right. we're meeting lunch for the first time and you're ten minutes late, I'm like, hey, well, great to be with you. Right. You know. Right. Uh, but I, if I have a history with you, and this right. is the problem with a lot of relationships, is their history is is something that just blocks their brain. Exactly. And then the truth is, let's say I've been late six times and now I walk in a couple minutes late. At, see, we're having a bad conversation right now and we haven't even started talking yet, <laughs> right? You're exactly. already mad. You're already bitter. I'm bugged. You're already saying bad things about yeah. me in your head. Yeah. You already look at me like somebody who's a real pain in the neck. You better buy. I can feel You're that late. vibrating off of you as I walk up towards you and we're in a bad conversation right. already and no <laughs> words have been said yet and it's already going badly. Yeah. And I think, yep, I, uh, because then we don't see the person as a person. We just see them as an irritation to us. Mm-hmm. Now, this is why, and so maybe you can talk about this just for a minute. This is why the pause is so important. If we're in a conflict or even just a conversation that's a little tense, it's tense because we have literally forgotten who we're talking to. So I'm going to come back to James just for a second. 
It talks about how the tongue can be a fire, which is so true, of course. With the same tongue that we bless our Lord and Father, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. We are talking to people who are made in the likeness of our very God, who are the children of that God. That's who we're talking to. And so before I blurt out all the crazy, mean, or harsh things that run in the back of my head, I need to take just a second to remember who I'm actually talking to. Gwen and I were at a conference years ago, and I wish I could give this author credit because I'd love to, but I forgot who said it actually. But they said basically, I've always understood, you know, God is my father, and of course God is my wife's father. That's of course true. He said, but it hit me lately that that means he's also my (laughs) 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 father-in-law. who has some real clear expectations about how he should be treating his little girl. Mm-hmm. And I just think, right, anytime we're in conflict, we have literally forgotten, just like James is trying to say, we've forgotten who we're actually talking to. We think we're talking about somebody who's an irritation or a problem to be fixed or somebody who can't do anything right or someone who's, you know, whatever. We're not seeing them as them. And we are going to have a bad conversation because I've literally quit seeing you as you actually are. I've literally forgotten, just like James says, I'm talking to a child about the very Lord of our world. That's who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. And so before we let that tongue get on fire and start saying all the things that later on we'll wish we hadn't said, it's helpful to stop just long enough to remember who we're talking to. Yeah. We're going to take a pause. Speaking of pause, Glenn. All right. Dr. Glenn Pickering <laughs> is my guest. If you go to Glenn Pickering, uh, Pickering.com. Do I have that right? We just change it over, uh-huh. I just saw that. I'm just on your website right now, and, yep. and you added it in the doctor, Dr. Glenn Pickering, two N's, G-L-E-N-N, uh, dot com. You can go, and under the media tab, you can see the notes of which we are working off today. It's entitled Healthy Relationships, and we're trying to work at what to do to get things right and to build on that vision. And we'll be um, taking a short break and being right back. Glenn Pickering, so glad to have him in studio with me. We're talking about healthy relationships, and we want to talk about uh, what to do when we do it right. And we, right before the break, Glenn, we were talking about the importance of pauses. And maybe you could walk us through this again, just and let us know why it's so important to pause. Thank you. That's it is so important, and I can promise you this: every really, really great, powerful, transformational conversation I've ever had with anybody anywhere. There were thoughtful pauses. Somebody says something, and the rest of us think, oh, that's an interesting thought. Let me think about that for a second. And after you've given it some thought and kind of absorbed it, then you say something back. And I think, right, really, really great conversation looks like that. If there are no pauses, that just means people aren't really listening, like we're supposed to be called to be quick to listen, slow to speak. we got it flipped around. We're fast to speak, and we're not listening at all because we're either rehearsing our next response like we talked about, or I'm responding in that sort of knee-jerk defending tag playing, I don't want to be the bad one way. So I want to talk about that just for a second. When we do that, when we either are rehearsing our answer or we have this sort of knee-jerk defending, explaining, rationalizing kind of response, 
we need to understand that's degrading to ourselves and to God. And I don't use that word lightly. Mm-hmm. Here's how come. We've already been justified. And that explaining, defending, backpedaling, rationalizing is all in a tape, an attempt to justify ourselves in a human's eyes. But we have already been justified. God has already given us our new name. Beloved, precious in my sight, called to me as you are. I don't need justification. And I want to say to every listener, you don't need my approval or anybody else's. Period. And all of our attempts to justify, explain, rationalize, blame somebody else are all an attempt to justify ourselves. But we need to understand as Christians that that's degrading to us and to the God who has already justified us. We're already perfect in his sight. If I made a mistake, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Hey, Glenn, you made a mistake up here. Okay. What should we do? It's not who you are. I know. We don't have to justify anything. If I made a mistake, I just did. So what? We'll mm-hmm. figure out what to do. That's mm-hmm. important, but... Whose fault is it? Why did that happen? Who? Ugh. Exhausting. And it is exhausting, and it denies my own justification. And so if I say to somebody that I've been saved, I've been justified, I'm precious in God's sight, and then I turn around immediately and act as like defending myself, I literally undermine my own witness. Say that again. Thank you. I'll yeah. try to. Yeah, because I need you got to dumb it down for me. <laughs> that is so not true. You're one of the smartest people I know. But... We'll pretend yeah, you, don't know, you don't know a lot of people. Well, I know four guys, but you're one of the four smartest ones. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. If we're telling somebody, you know, maybe a seeker, someone who's looking for the Lord, that we've already been justified, that that's the really amazing power of our Lord, and then in the next sentence, we justify ourselves or rationalize or explain away or defend ourselves or act like we have to justify ourselves. It literally undermines our very witness. Every time we act like we have to justify ourselves or explain ourselves, we become a less and less and less effective witness for our Lord who says, Glenn, you are justified already. Now, I finally, finally get, this is sort of a powerful insight for me, that when Jesus said, if somebody strikes you on the one cheek, then turn it and let them strike you on the other cheek. And I always used to think, what is that exactly? But now I get this. Nobody gets to decide for me that I'm somehow less than. So if somebody said, Glenn, I spit on your very shoes, I'm going to think, I don't care, I spit on my other one too. It doesn't matter to me. I know who I am. I don't need your approval. I don't even need to care what you think about me. I know who I am. But see, every time we act like we have to justify ourselves or explain or to defend it, we're acting like we need to earn our justification, and it's just wrong. So that sentence, that story by Jesus, has a way more powerful meaning for me now than it used to. And, um, and I just think, hmm, given a seminar one time, and somebody said, well, Glenn, if somebody attacks me, I have to defend myself. And I'm thinking, see, that's not true. You're acting like you don't have freedom in Christ. Like you don't have the ability to stop, take a prayerful moment, think about what you really want to say, and then say that. Just because somebody attacks me in some worldly way doesn't mean I have to respond in some worldly way. I don't even care. If I really have my head straight, hey, Glenn, you did a, you made a mistake in my building. Okay, cool. What should we do? I mean, honestly, should pretty much always be our reaction. Mm-hmm. But so often, if there's a conflict or we've just made a mistake, 
somehow we have to explain it or defend it or rationalize it. Like somehow we have to earn our justification. We have to earn in this human's eyes our justification. And I think, no, that's not right. I already have my name. And it's blessed, precious in God's sight. I don't need to earn that. It's already given to me. And so every time I backpedal or explain or justify, I say, I'm literally degrading myself. I'm acting like I'm not justified, but I already am. And I'm degrading the very God who says that I am. So that's important. So the other reason why pauses are so important instead of giving into those knee-jerk reactions are, A, if one talks and then I give myself a second to absorb it and make sure I actually understood it, two good things happen. I actually get what she says in a way I wouldn't have if I responded quickly, and she can tell that I do. Now, here's why that's so important. I've said on the show before, which this thing I just think more and more all the time about, is that the fact that I love Gwen doesn't change her life at all. It doesn't. The fact that I love Gwen and she can tell changes her life. So unless I live that out, my love for her is really meaningless. It's just like James said, I have a worthless religion. It's a worthless relationship. If I love my wife, but she doesn't know. If somebody says to Gwen, hey, does Gwen love you? Well, yeah, I think he must. Oh, golly. Oh, my goodness. That would be such a condemnation of whatever it is I'm trying to do. <laughs> so just think, man, that's not working. Now, and it's just like this. It's the same in our faith life. God did not start loving me the instant I began to be a Christian. I became a Christian the minute I realized how much God actually loved me. But until I get that that's true, my life doesn't change. His love didn't change me. When I got that he loved me, that changes my life. Well, it's the same with all of our relationships. If we love people, but they can't tell by our actions, our words, our behaviors towards them, that love is worth nothing. We're a noisy, gong, and a clanging symbol. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like it's, it doesn't mean anything to them. So it's really, really important that our pauses, making sure we actually understand before we speak, instead of just saying the thing we've been rehearsing or the, some defending of our own self, we pause so they can tell we got it, and we say something back that shows that we got it. See, then they can actually tell that they're loved, and that's what makes all the difference. And, you know, you hear me talk all the time about being a second responder. That's a perfect, every single day example of being a second responder. Stop long enough, make sure I'm listening to every sentence, make sure I got it, and then speak in a way that shows I got it. That would be a second responder. And I should be doing that in every conversation I'm in all the time. Because everybody I'm talking to is a child of the same God. Mm-hmm. Glenn, is it fair to say that listening well can be very tiring? Um, here's the interesting thing. It's not. Not listening is tiring. If I'm rehearsing, if I'm okay. defending, if I'm backpedaling, that's exhausting. If I'm just listening and just taking it in, it takes almost no energy at all. Okay. It's so easy. It's it, everything else that makes it hard. Maybe we can pick that up a little bit more after the break. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. Go to drglennpickering.com. You can download the notes that we're discussing today under his media tab. He also has this lovely offer. If you'd like a uh, 20-minute conversation with him at no cost and no strings attached, you can uh, fill out a form, no obligation, and he won't bug you, nothing. You can just get an opportunity to speak to him one-on-one. We'll take a short break and be right back as we continue talking about healthy relationships and uh, what we need to do to keep things right. Be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. 
So glad to have Dr. Glenn Pickering in studio. We're talking about healthy relationships. Last time he was in, we talked about uh, how things can go wrong. Today we're talking about how things can go right, which I love. And uh, Glenn, right before break, we were chatting a little bit about um, um, emotionally, it can be emotionally exhausting. And I think what I meant by that, if I can Mm -hmm. just flush that out a little bit, was um, I, I read a book years and years ago where if you let people finish their thoughts and never interrupt and make sure they've completed their thought before you say anything, Mm -hmm. that's a different mindset. Right. Because I'm a fast interrupter too. It's like, hey, let me throw this in before I forget it. Right? Right. And it's actually way more peaceful. I, um, well, years ago, I mean, for a lot of my life, if I got in an elevator, I would really work hard to not interact with the other people in the elevator. I could keep my own space. I'd watch the numbers go up and down like that was so interesting. <laughs> and and God just convicted me that I was wasting a lot of energy doing that. I thought, okay, I mean, you know, when God convicts you about something, you just know. It's like, oh, uh-huh, that's true. No judgment, just, yep, that's right. So next time I got on an elevator, it was a little bit before Christmas, there was an older lady with some shopping bags, and I said something incredibly brilliant, like, oh, somebody's been shopping. <laughs> yes, this is for my granddaughter. And we had the sweetest little conversation about a granddaughter on the way up the elevator until I got off. And you know how much energy that took? None. Yeah. It takes so much energy to not interact. But to just ask a question, listen, have fun with her, took none. Right. It was the easiest thing I could possibly do. And it's the same with listening. People say, well, listening is hard. And I think, no, listening is really, really easy. What's hard is to break all the habits of all the other things we do instead. But once we drop those habits and are just listening, there's literally nothing to it. I make eye contact, I nod my head. When they're done talking, I think about what they said, so I kind of make sure I get it. And then I say something back. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so not tiring. Yeah, but can it be exhausting emotionally to hear someone's story that they might be able to tell in two and a half minutes, they stretch into 21 minutes? Well, that's part of being an active listener, which we'll talk a little bit more about, but... um well, let's go back to something okay. else that okay, we great. talked about just yes. during the break, and that yep. is when you sometimes are rehearsing what you're going to say versus really listening, right. what about, Glenn, if what you're rehearsing is something you've been rehearsing for a decade <laughs> in be, your really brain, right. Right. and it's not like a nuclear reactor, and you're getting right. ready to blow? Right, exactly. Yes, I think so often that does happen. I, um, You know me, I used to work for a number of years with guys who, you know, there was domestic violence, the police got called, the guy got taken out of the house, and I had to go see Glenn Pickering for anger management training, quote-unquote. And um, and what I would see with those guys is not mostly, by and large, and I mean like 96% maybe, weren't violent people. little thing would come up and they'd say nothing, little thing would come up and they'd say nothing, and finally after a whole bunch of those, then something triggers them and they explode, and people are like, What? How could you have had such a big reaction in such a small incident? But it's like, no, I had a whole bunch of them all packed in that one. Right. Well, see, the problem is if we if we're rehearsing something for a long time, A, it affects how we interact with the other person and they can tell. B, when it does come out, it's going to come out so big that when we do say it, the other person is going to be like, what? Like, right. It, I mean, I committed a small offense 12 years ago, and now a nuclear bomb went off. What, right. what, what happened there? Well, I've been nursing that grudge for 12 years, and it got pretty big. <laughs> so, right. Which leads us to number two. So first of all is listening and about good relationships. Second is we tell the truth. So we don't store things like that. We actually tell the truth. 
when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, I think, right, it does. So it means that in relationships that are good with God and with our people in our life, we don't deny or repress or avoid the truth. So we don't do what I call frozen take. Hey, Glenn, how's your day? Fine. Hey, Glenn, you seem upset. Is anything okay? No. Is anything wrong? Nope. Oh, boy. Hey, Glenn, you need help with that? Oh, I got it. I mean, all those ways that we don't just tell our truth. But we, you're, you're staying frozen is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're not letting anybody in. Right, exactly. Yeah, okay. So um, that's one way to not tell the truth. But it also, the truth is not also not about them. Um, when James says in chapter 3, verse 6, you know, that the tongue is a fire, um, and... Um, and I love that part about, you know, basically he says, with the same tongue that you bless the Lord our Father, you curse those who are created in the likeness of God. And then just right after that he says, so don't speak evil against your brothers and sisters. There's only one lawgiver and one judge. And who are you to judge your neighbor? Again, that James, he just, <laughs> he says it short, he says it powerfully, he says it right to you. <laughs> and, um, and I just think, see, some people say, well, Glenn, I just tell it like it is. They're like, no, you don't. All of your sentences start with, you never, you always, you just think that you can, you never, I, why don't you ever, that's not truth. That's judgment. And James just got done saying, who are you to judge your neighbor? All the things so many people say, and they say, well, I'm just telling you the truth. I think, no, you're not. You're telling a really mean-spirited, hurtful, condemning version of the truth. And the scriptures are really clear. That is not your place. So, we need to understand. I do need to tell my truth, not be frozen. Yes. But the truth is never about anybody else. That's the kind of thing that ignites the fire of the tongue that uh, James is talking about. As soon as I have, say, any sentence that starts with the word you, I'm very likely to be either attacking that person or to sound to that other person like I'm attacking them. And boy, then that fire catches in a hurry. Mm-hmm. The only truth I can tell is the only truth that I know. And the only truth I actually know is about myself how I'm feeling or what I want or what my vision looks like or why that was kind of hurtful to my feelings or what I'm hoping for or what I want to do today. I mean, if I'm telling my truth, I'm just talking about me. So in great relationships, we listen really carefully. There are a lot of pauses. And when we talk, we tell the truth about ourselves. So if um, if Gwen says something that's a little hurtful to me, I don't get to say, see, you're such a jerk, you're so judgmental, you're always like that, you never listen. This is not truth. This is me cutting down someone who is created in the likeness of our God, just like James was talking about. We don't get to talk to somebody like that who's a child of our very God. It's not right. I mean, it's way not right. Like fundamentally, like at that moment, your religion is worthless, not right, just like James says. So if she hurts my feelings, I, I get to say, honey, that kind of hurt my feelings. And she says, how come? And I tell her what happened to me when she said that and why that was hurtful to me. Everything I say, if I tell the truth, is about me. And that's not self-centered. I'm just saying, I'm just telling you my truth. As soon as I'm done now and you listen, great. Now you get to tell your truth in whatever way you want to and I'll listen to that. But if we're telling the truth, we don't stay silent, but we're also not talking about them. We're always talking about ourselves. And here's the thing I kind of wish we did. Hey, I know we have this pattern in our relationship, but I kind of wish we'd do it different. And I think my part of doing it different really would look like this. I'm always talking to you about myself, what I need, or why that was hurtful to me, or what I'm going to do to try and make our relationship better. So I can tell the truth. 
but it's important to really, really be clear. The only truth I actually know is about myself. And I can say anything about myself without being hurtful to another human being. Mm -hmm. And that's a great reminder because if you are trying to say to some other person that you're in a relationship with what they're doing wrong and how much you're quick to point that out, uh, that probably won't go well, will it? It won't, which is why Jesus said, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? You don't see the log in your own eye. If there's a problem in a relationship, start by claiming you're half of that. Mm-hmm. But that's what's actually true. That's the part I know. I can see that I'm doing this thing, which is keeping us from communicating effectively. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can claim that any way I want without being hurtful to somebody else or judgmental. Because who am I to judge my brother or my sister? I'm not anybody else's judge. I'm just supposed to ask God, God, how could I do that differently? Mm-hmm. Period. That's the only question I should ever be asking. Yeah. So when, Glenn, are you feeling like a little bit of a pushover. Well, here's the really cool truth. thing. I will never be a pushover. In fact, I'm sure that now that I get better and better doing this, I'm less and less of a pushover. So if somebody comes to me with a business deal and says, hey, Glenn, what do you think about that? I'm going to say, hmm, it doesn't feel to me like that lines up with my skills. And it's not a thing I am passionate about. So I don't think that's for me. I don't have to judge you. I right. don't do anything, but I'm going right. to be real clear that it doesn't fit for me. But let's go back to six sure. times in a row you're late for lunch, and on the <laughs> seventh time you show up and I go, Glenn, I just have to say it is, it is not really a, uh, respectful that you're always okay. consistently late. Okay, so tell I'm me I'm not talking about my truth. Me, I'm talking so, about you. I know. So tell me something about you. Okay, I don't, I don't personally like it when I'm sitting in this restaurant by myself. Right, because it makes you feel... It makes me feel uh, neglected. Thank you. So I come in, seventh time in a row, late, and you say, Hun, you know, I like you, you're really important to me, but honestly, when you're late, it makes me feel really unimportant and kind of neglected, like you don't really care. Oh. Notice, you're not saying anything bad about me. You're just telling me, Glenn, this is what happens for me. Yeah. And I'm going to hear that. And remember, we all have the truth meter built in. When we hear the truth... Not the mean-spirited, tag version, lashing out, just true. Our tag meter just peg, our truth meter just pegs over. And we're like, oh, oh, okay. Might, well, I'll work on that. It might cost us our lunch that day, right? It just might, but it's actually very likely to have a better lunch because I'm going to sit down and say, oh, golly, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a really good point. I'm, I'm going to work better at that. And you're going to say, well, thank you, and we're going to have this little sweet connection now between us. That's why when Jesus says in Matthew 19, you know, if your brothers hurt you, tell it to him. And if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. That's the goal, not to be right, not to prove a point. I want my brother back. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a resentment, see, we have a disconnect between us. But if you just tell me, Glenn, that really makes me feel bad. And I'm like, oh, crud, I can totally see why that would be true. I'm really sorry. I'm going to work on that. And you think, hey, thanks. That's nice. See, we now have our little connection back. Mm-hmm. And we're probably going to have a great lunch. Mm-hmm. But if you feel defensive... And you right. might say mm, something in retaliation, right? And that's not going to go well. No, but here's the cool thing: I still get to stay where I stay where I am, and this is why it's not weak. It's actually really strong. So let's say you say to me, "Glenn, I'm feeling kind of unimportant when you're late." And I'm saying, "Well, you know, I'm really busy." Blah blah blah. And if you're really smart, you're going to say, "Hun, I'm not judging you. I, I get. I'm just telling you. This is how it kind of affects me. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I'm saying. And I'm just really clear. I'm now done talking about that." Because I don't need your approval, that would be weak. I don't need you to make justify me because that would be like blowing off my justification. I'm just going to tell you my truth. And then we're done. Yeah. 
And Jesus said, you know, he who has ears, let him hear. Even Jesus, it's like, I, I can't make you listen. I can't make you get it. I can't make you do it. But I can tell my truth as nearly as, as well as I can tell it from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And then it's really it's up to you how you deal with that. But my only part is to make sure that I'm trying to tell my truth in a way that's most likely to get hurt, which means I don't say you're disrespectful. I say, just makes me feel kind of unimportant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I'm kind of sitting there by myself. Everybody else is with somebody. I'm by myself. It just makes me, I don't know, kind of lonely, really, I guess, and kind of like the weird one in the restaurant. Oh, oh, good. I didn't even think about that. Which, if I'm true, is probably what I would say. Right. And suddenly we're having a really honest conversation with two brothers who just connected at a way deeper level. Yeah, good point. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. We're going to continue after the break talking about dropping our attempts to control. That's all ahead. If you want to go to drglennpickering.com, you can check out his website and also under his media tab. Today's notes from today's discussion are right there. Uh, September 22nd, 2021. He also has a lovely offer if you want to talk to him personally for 20 minutes on the phone. You can do that. Fill out a little form. No obligation. Be right back. Glenn Pickering, we're talking about healthy relationships and how we can do what we can do to make things right, build on the vision, uh, learning how to listen and take pauses in conversation, not just rehearse what we're going to say next, but really listen. And we're going to talk now about dropping our attempts to control by what we do or don't do. Uh, Glenn, I had another comment come in. Sure. Uh, not sure of your specific reference, but when we look at Scripture in its entirety, judging has its place among believers. We're told to judge righteously and only those inside the church. Right. So I want to talk to something that people often get confused about, that there's a difference between judgment and discernment. And sometimes people use those words like they're the same, but they're not. Look, let's say, for example, I am late for lunch seven times, and you do bring it up to me very gently, and instead of being loving back, I blow you off or call you a judgmental jerk and leave the restaurant. Okay. Now, you could do what we're not supposed to do and tell yourself all kinds of judgmental thoughts about Glenn. He's terrible. He's a jerk. He's so bad, blah, blah, blah. But see, remember, you're saying those thoughts about someone who's a beloved child of our God, so it's not right. Right. But you might very well decide you don't want to go out to lunch with me anymore. True. It's not a judgment of me as a discernment of what's best for you. Right. So when it says use right judgment, what they mean is use right discernment for yourself about who you need to be with and who you're not going to be, how you're going to behave and how you're not, what's right for you and what you know is not. And we're supposed to be discerning all the time. But it doesn't involve judging anybody else. It involves discerning, again, just like my truth is about myself. You might just decide, yeah, I don't think I want to go out to lunch with Glenn anymore. Yeah. 
I, I, I get you don't that. have to be mean or judgmental about me in your head. You no. just need to think, I don't think I want to do that I get again. to choose, exactly. but there's a part of me that might feel sad that right. I thought Glenn and I had this nice right. little friendship right. going. Absolutely. Yet every time we go out, I feel I just neglected. feel bad, right. Like, so, well, I'm kind of on his list of things to do, and right. he's always late. And Right, yep. And so you might think, you know what? I think for my own self, I'm just going to quit doing that. Yeah. But, but the scriptures are really clear. You still don't get to be judgmental of me like you get to condemn me because that's why, you know, we're just reading from that fifth chapter of James about how, you know, who are you to judge anybody else? So it's not our job to judge anybody else, but it's our job to be very discerning about how we live our life mm-hmm. and who we're going to hang with and how we're going to speak to others, just like how we're going to listen to others, how we're going to talk to others. We need to discern for ourselves what our standards are, and we need to make a point of living up to those standards. Good. All right, let's talk yeah. about dropping our attempts to control by what we do or don't do. Thank you. I love that one. Thank I you. too. Did you come up with that? No, you did. Okay, well, I still like it. Um, <laughs> I just think so often in relationships, well, let me back up. I wrote something way back in my when I was writing my book on being a gentle man, something to the effect about how so often when I was trying to be helpful, people would tell me that I was controlling. And I would think, but I was only trying to help. And I came to realize, as you've heard me say, that the difference between help and control is control is help that nobody's asking for. Ah, this computer drives me crazy. Well, let me do that for you. I wasn't asking for that. I was just telling you that the computer is driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. That's it. That was not an invitation to take over my life. (laughs) Yeah. To be helpful to me. So we need to understand in a relationship, especially with people we care about, if we're not careful, the things we do to be helpful are actually controlling. We're trying to tell somebody else what decision they should make or how they should act or what they should do or blah, blah, blah. And we need to understand that that is really, really not our place. And I also wrote in that same book, Being a Gentle Man, something to the effect about how, for me, the only thing harder than letting go of control was admitting I never had any. <laughs> so I hear people talk about, well, I got to learn how to let go of control. And I think... <laughs> of what? I got, yeah, it. I got words for you, man. <laughs> yeah. Jesus said, you're here as you're, let them hear. Even Jesus had no control over whether people listened, didn't listen, followed them, didn't follow, told their neighbors, kept it to themselves. They're going to do whatever they do. Mm-hmm. And so we need to understand the people in our life are going to do what they're going to do. So that's that. Um, so my attempts to control them or fix them or tell them what to do are, will never come across as helpful to them and will always feel judgmental because it is. Basically, I'm saying, you don't know how to run your own life, so let me do it for you. Now imagine that this never goes well. Now, and even when people t- try and be, think they're being helpful, um, it's just not. And all of us who were raised to be fiercely codependent, as I certainly was, <laughs> we can often confuse those things like, oh, I'm just trying to help. Uh-huh. Fixing somebody else's life is not your place. Fixing somebody else's life is not your place. <laughs> it's just not. Now, Sometimes when people think, well, i got to let go, and they think that means that they're sort of giving up. And I think, no, 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 no. Letting go, which, remember, we never had any control in the first place, so it's silly, but I'll just use that phrase. Letting go doesn't mean I'm giving up. It just means the opposite of letting go is not giving up. The opposite of letting go is to invite that person into a relationship with me or to invite that person onto my team. So if somebody says, man, I'm really struggling um, finding the right reference for this or finding the right job or finding the right girl, it doesn't matter. My first question is going to be, would you like my help with that? Because remember, they haven't asked for that. They just told me they're having trouble, but it's not my place to assume they need my help, so I'm going to ask, would you like my help with that? If they say, actually, that'd be great. Then my second question is going to be, how can I be helpful? 
I'm not going to assume they need help, and I'm not going to assume I know what kind of help, because I don't know either one of those. We're all really, really bad guessers, it turns out. So we don't know who needs help, and we don't know what kind of help they need. I see Rosemary laughing, so apparently I'm funnier than I thought. (laughs) So, um, So because here's the thing. When we try to be in control of something, we're literally not letting the other people be on the team with us. We're just sort of getting the takeover mode, and pretty soon we take over, and everybody else starts standing on the sidelines watching us, feeling left out. I think this is not loving. This is not how to build community. So we're supposed to listen carefully. We're supposed to tell the truth, and we're supposed to let other people be on our team. You know, God says over and over in our scriptures that, you know, I'll be with you. See, we're never alone. So we just need to understand we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And our call is a living community. That's why when Jesus said the two greatest commandments, you know, love your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And every time Jesus does a healing in the scriptures, the thing he does is he tells people to go back to their community, go back to their family, go back to their synagogue, go back to their community, go back home. I'm not healing you for your healing's sake. That's almost irrelevant as nearly as I can tell from God and Jesus' perspective. They're not very concerned about physical healing. They're always thinking about their relationship. So, yeah, I'll heal your soul that. You can go back to your community. So when we try and control people and do everything ourselves to, quote-unquote, make sure it comes out right, we're kicking everybody off our team. Well, there's nothing biblical about that. So. That's very deep. Thank you. Yeah. I'm chewing on this one. I like it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to let you. I like yeah. pauses. <laughs> well, I'm getting more comfortable with them this hour. All right. Next hour, okay. I won't be quite as comfortable. <laughs> well, maybe that's but true. But you've given Was me it? permission to pause, um, which I know is, is it's important to not jump to just trying to say the next thing, but to try to listen and understand right. and, right. Just and respond in. carefully. Right. And I want you to thoughtfully. notice that's a low-key, not stressful thing to do. Yeah. But when you're talking about control and yeah. you're, you know, trying to control an outcome, what about when you're trying to control the outcome of a specific conversation where I say to myself, I rehearse in my head, if I say this to Glenn and I say it in this way with this tone, I should get this result. Huh? Uh, how much lunacy is that? Uh-huh. You know, they say in the 12-step program, <laughs> keep doing the same thing over and over. <laughs> think this time it's going to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Insanity. So um, here's what I know. When we're controlling, we're focused on the wrong place. We're focused on control, which means we're either trying to control another person or we're trying to control the outcome. And in your example, it's actually both of those. You're trying to control a certain person in order to get to a certain outcome. But it's really important to understand, we're not in control of another person or the outcome. I'm not in control of that person or how the conversation ends up. I'm not. So many of us, if there's a conflict and we go, want to go talk to that person, we sort of try and plan out the conversation ahead of time. But see, it never goes like that because it turns out every conversation is an ad-lib conversation. So it's a waste of time. What we do have is not control. What we have is power. I have power over myself and the process. So we don't have control over the outcome, but we have control over how we get to the outcome. And I don't have total control over you, but I have total control over how I conduct myself in that process. So, mm-hmm. for example, let's say... There's a bunch of chores we have to do it around our family, and we're going to have a family meeting about dividing up the chores. Okay, I'm not going to come up with a list of who should do what and how it should all go. My job as a leader is to make sure everybody gets a chance to speak, everybody gets to say what they think, everybody feels safe and not criticized, and in the end we come up with a solution that everybody thinks is good. See, I'm in charge of myself, how I conduct myself in that process, and I'm in charge of the process of how I get to the answer. But if I'm actually a leader, I have no idea what the actual answer is going to be. 
as soon as I think I have to be in control of the outcome, say I just went from leader to dictator, and the scriptures are so clear, it shall not be so among you. This is not the way I want you to conduct your relationships. You're not a dictator. You're brothers and sisters, and you've got to work together. You live in community. So just really always important to understand. We get anxious about how things are going to go. It's really important to make sure the right outcome happens. So we get all controlling, trying to make the right outcome happen. And in that moment, we are alone. Mm-hmm. And we were not built to be alone. Yeah. We're built to live in community with God and others. Great discussion, Glenn. Thank you for bringing this to my attention and teaching us how to get things going in the right direction by being better listeners and learning how to pause in a conversation and not just rehearsing what you're going to say next. This is uh, good stuff. Tell the truth. uh, Speak from yourself. Let uh, your truth be told. And then don't try to control because it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go to drglennpickering.com. That's his website. You can also uh, get the notes from today's message, which is under his media tab. And also he has this lovely invitation for you to Arrange for a 20-minute conversation with him on the phone, and it doesn't uh, cost you anything. He just wants to get to know you and help you with something, and I promise he can. you can get a lot from Glenn in 20 minutes. So that wraps up our show. Thank you, Glenn, for being here. Always a pleasure. So great to be on the show. I love being with you guys, truly. Terrific. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our series on people of the Old Testament. We're going to talk with Dr. Eric Tonis, and we're going to talk about Phineas. How he's going to fill an hour with that is going to be fascinating for me. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.